Hey, good morning. Appreciate your, your attendance this morning uh, as we uh, continue our study on Christian apologetics. This is sort of a continuation of, of last week's lesson. Uh, so if you weren't with us last week, what we are doing, uh, we're studying Christian apologetics. Of course, uh, this word um, apologetics we get from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, uh, where, where Peter writes, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense uh, for uh, the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And that word there, to make a defense, in the Greek is this Greek word apologia, uh, which we get our word apology. Again, not as if we are apologizing for something, but it means you know, to give a reasoned defense, to give a logical answer uh, to, uh, to an argument. Again, not an argument as uh, we're going back and forth at each other, but, uh, you know, again, a reasoned, logical argument. And so uh, Peter tells us uh, here that, you know, we need to always have uh, an answer to be able to give those who might be skeptical or those who might not believe uh, to, of the hope that is in us and, you know, why we do what we do, why we say uh, what we say. And so last week we started this study on, you know, does God exist? Again, the, the basis of Christian apologetics is founded on these three principles. Uh, does God exist? Uh, is the Bible inspired? Which uh, we'll begin uh, next week if we don't finish our study this morning. And then finally, is Christ deity? Of those three pillars, uh, does, you know, the Christian faith uh, is being withheld or being upheld by those three pillars? And so... Uh, as we go through these, you know, we want to, uh, again, understand, you know, where somebody might be coming from uh, who, again, might be skeptical or, or does not believe. And ultimately, again, you know, I mentioned this before, but ultimately what we want to do is be able to, you know, put a little pebble uh, in their shoe. Again, uh, uh, you know, the, the saying that, you know, if we can just maybe enter something into their mind to get, get them something to think on uh, about the existence of God. Uh, th that maybe they will uh, think on it some more and more and more and it'll just be an annoyance to them like a pebble in a shoe and until they, you know, they finally do something about it. And so hopefully what that is is they'll want to study uh, about the subject themselves. Uh, but again, uh, you know, it, it's reasonable to suggest that you know, if there is a God, if there is a God that he would make available enough evidence for us to know these things. And again, we, we've talked about those two different types. You know, natural revelation, uh, Romans chapter one, verse 20, where you know, Paul says all we need to do is just look outside and we can see his creation. We see his invisible attributes and his uh, eternal power. Uh, Psalm 19, you know, says look up into the sky and you can see his handiwork there. Uh, just by seeing those things, uh, we should know that there is a God, that, that, um, that he created all those things. And then, of course, not only is there natural revelation, but then there's the supernatural revelation uh, that God revealed himself to us through his word. And all scripture is inspired by God, uh, meaning God breathed it out and it's profitable for us in this life. And so uh, he has given us the evidence. And so, again, what we want to uh, um, do this morning is to continue talking about uh, the question, does God exist? Again, trying to put that pebble into someone's uh, shoe uh, to get them to think about those things. Now, you know, I, I introduced some uh, words last week um, that, again, uh, 
you know, it's not my objective to have us to, you know, remember these things uh, because, uh, you know, again, uh, these are $20 words and I'm not very much into, you know, remembering those things as well. But, you know, that we talked about the cosmological argument, which was uh, the basically that, um, you know, we can see God uh, in this life because of, uh, you know, that because of lo- the, such instances like the law of cause and effect. Right? That uh, there was no way for this world to have been created um, by itself. You know, nothing comes from, or yeah, nothing comes from nothing, uh, or that the world is, or the other um, question would be, is the world eternal? And of course, we talked about that. How uh, that also fails, and so the only op- or the only option left would be that uh, the world was created by something greater than itself. And so that's. You know, really what we focused on last week, and we also looked at uh, the existence of God through morality. Uh, because we have consciences, because we know that there is objective uh, morality uh, in this life, uh, that there must have been a moral law giver. You know, how do we know that, or how do we know what is right versus wrong without uh, something higher than us giving us those uh, standards? Okay, and so that's what we focused last week. Uh, we're going to focus today on the other two uh, major um, uh, arguments. Um, the other one today that, that we mentioned last week was the, was the theological argument, or basically, uh, to say it in plainer terms, uh, design demands a designer. So you, you and I, I think we all understand that uh, it's no secret that everything designed uh, must have had a designer. You know, again, every poem has a poet. Every painter ha- or every painting has a painter. You know, if I'm walking through the woods in the deep forest and I come across, you know, some uh, con- old convertible out there, um, I'm not going to think, "Wow, you know, that thing just popped into existence." Right? It's, for us, you know, someone created that. Someone designed it and put it there. Uh, in high school, um, I, I uh, like a lot of you know uh, people. You know they go to uh, football schools and stuff, and and I played soccer, so I was on the high school soccer team. And uh, soccer wasn't as big, and maybe it's not as big around here as well. You know because there were times when we couldn't have a season uh, uh, because there just wasn't enough people to come out for the team. And so my freshman year, uh, they decided to bring back the soccer program, and we had about 10, 11 of us freshmen uh, come out for the team. And, you know, we had enough people uh, to fill a team that year, and we also had girls on the team uh, just to, you know, make it so that we had enough bodies to play. And so because of that, we had to, um, you know, begin the soccer season by practicing, of course, and uh, you know, the football team was over on their football field practicing, and the soccer team gets, you know, this, uh, this little piece of land uh, next to the school. Uh, uh, but guess what? There, there's no goalposts. How's a soccer team supposed to practice without uh, goalposts? And so as, we, uh, as I learn, uh, you know, as a freshman, not knowing what I'm getting in, myself into is that, uh, you know, it's the, the, uh, the football team's sort of tradition to take the soccer team's Goalposts, drag them through the forest, and then deposit them into the bottom of the Kalamazoo River. Right, and so uh, if we are to, if we are walking across this path, and we come to the Kalamazoo River, and we see uh, these soccer goals at the bottom of the Kalamazoo River, 
you know, again, are, are we going to assume that those just magically appeared there? That they just came out of nowhere? No, of course not. We understand that somebody designed those goalposts and somebody put them there in that place. Again, we, we understand that. Design demands a designer. Uh, and since the universe shows design, again, it must demand a designer. You know, the, the, the atheist will say, yes, the, the, this world shows um, complexity. It shows orderliness. It shows precision. But design, oh, you know, they, they can't admit to that. Um, let's talk about a few things here. Well, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 4. You know, that, that's a passage that... Um, that is very uh, much uh, what we should you know, understand here in this study. Hebrews 3 verse 4 says, For every house is built by someone, uh, but again, the builder of all things is God. You know, the Bible is explicitly says design demands a designer. Now, again, uh, as we talked about last week, you know, this isn't science class. I'm not a, a science professor or anything like that. Uh, but we do want to just maybe mention a few of these things that are in a lot of the apologetics uh, textbooks uh, as, as, again, things that you know, we can talk to uh, our friends and neighbors about who may be skeptical about, the, uh, about this. But um, you know, let's just think about this. Is it a small world after all? Right? Have you ever been on Disney World and been on that uh, ride where that song is continues over and over again? You know, it's a small world after all. Uh, you know, 25 sext- sextillion stars. You know, that's, uh, that's a 25 with 21 zeros after it. I mean, that's sort of where, uh, you know, scientists are estimating now uh, the number of stars uh, in the universe. Okay? And, uh, you know, as we read certain scriptures, we, we understand that uh, the Bible uh, backs this up for us. All the way back in Genesis chapter 15, uh, verse 5, which we sort of talked about this morning, of the promise of Abraham. Uh, here in Genesis 15, verse 5, it says, And he took him outside and said, Now look towards the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So, your, uh, so shall your descendants be. Again, uh, you know, giving us the emphasis that you know, the stars are uh, innumerable. Uh, every time, you know, there's a study done on the number of stars, you know, it seems like that number just continues and continues uh, to increase. Uh, again, we can find this throughout a lot of the poetic language in the Bible uh, and the prophets. Jeremiah chapter 33, uh, verse 22, you know, Jeremiah says, uh, as the host of heaven cannot be counted. Right? Again, uh, this innumerable uh, number. Uh, Psalm 147 verse 4 says pretty much the same thing. But, you know, again, we see this vast, vast, vast universe uh, outside, you know, of our uh, earthly um, dwelling uh, domain. Uh, you know, they, they, within these um, books, they'll tell us that, you know, it would take 20 billion years if we could travel the speed of light to go from one end of the universe to the other. Again, this is so vast. Uh, filled with all of these stars and planets and suns. And again, uh, where did this come from? Uh, as our uh, textbooks, our evolutionary textbooks might explain, you know, there, at one time there was nothing and then boom, you know, the, a big bang happened. And now all of this is scattered throughout 
of the universe, a universe where it would take 20 billion years to travel from one end uh, to the other. And if that's not impressive of us or impressive for us enough, um, the size of the universe, let's sort of look at the the design of the universe. You know what we're more um, uh, given to, you know, when we examine those facts, it's obvious that, again, that God designed the world for us in a precise way. You know, again, Earth is said to be uh, 93 million miles from the sun. And again, we we mentioned this a little bit last week, but again, that's just right. Right? Uh, It's like the the Goldilocks and the Three Bears. You know, that's just right. It's not too far. It's not too close. If it was a little bit closer, we would burn up. If If it was a little bit further away, we would freeze. Again, it was designed this way so that we would uh, have life on this planet. Uh, the earth that we live on has exactly the right surface temperature. Again, um, if we were to go to Venus, you know, we, we would understand that it would be way too hot for life to live. If we would go to Mars, uh, you know, it's a lot cooler there. I believe the average temperature is like negative 14 degrees or something like that. Uh, again, not much is going to survive uh, there as well. Let's talk about if the earth is tilted on its axis, just uh, right. You know, there is design in this. Uh, if the earth was not tilted, um, you know, we would have the same temperature over and over again. And where it would be, where it's normally hot, it would be extremely hot. Where it's normally cold, it would be extremely cold. Uh, but the, t- the earth is tilted on this 23 and a half degree angle. And that, again, is by uh, design. Notice uh, what some of the scriptures say. I mean, we're told this in Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 14, that this was designed this way for a reason. Genesis chapter 1, verse 14. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. See, God designed us to have seasons, right? and that's made possible because the earth is tilted like this. Genesis chapter 8, verse 22, again, um, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. Right? This is uh, right after um, God destroys the, the world in the, the flood of Noah's day, and he's giving him that promise that he'll never do that again, and that the world is just going to continue on as it always has, in seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. The earth will remain, it shall not cease. Uh, notice uh, Psalm 104, verse 19. I have that one up on the board as well. Uh, Psalm 104, Verse 19, the psalmist here says, He made the moon for the seasons. The sun knows the place of its setting. Again, think of this. Uh, You know, the the psalmist here is writing, you know, we don't know, 3,000 years ago, 3,500 years ago. uh, And he says that that God made the moon for the seasons. He made these things specifically. Uh, You know, before we even had... Uh, you know, advanced telescopes and, and knew uh, much about these things. Uh, the Bible, time and time again, will um, uphold the laws of science and will tell us that 
uh, there were reason, there's a reason why the moon uh, was created. Uh, of course, that's, you know, we're, we're, you know, if we studied the moon or anything like that, we know that it goes through these lunar phases and that we can uh, pretty much keep track of time uh, by uh, those things as well. Uh, the moon keeps track of seasons. Now, the distance uh, of the moon away from the earth, again, 240,000 miles, again, this is just right. You know, what do they teach us in grade school, uh, the purpose of the moon? Remember they tell us that it, you know, it helps control you know, the tides on earth, you know, the moon all the way up 240,000 miles away from us, and, or yeah, 240,000 miles away from us, and it helps control the tides of the ocean. Right? Because of it, it cleanses the, the seashore. Uh, it helps ocean life prosper. You know, water, what, ha- what tends to happen if water is stagnant? Yeah. Yeah, nothing's growing. No, uh, things are dying. But because God put this moon in, up in the sky and it helps control the tides you know the the water is constantly moving because of this and it's keeping the oceans clean and um prospering and again that is by design uh the earth is covered of course by uh you know they say 72 around 72% water right the, seven, this earth is uh, covered by 72% of water and that gives us this everlasting reservoir of moisture uh you know that supplies rain. And again, we understand, you know, back then, um, you know, when the time when these uh, men are writing the scriptures, you know, probably most of the people at that time believed in, you know, a a flat earth, right? And uh, they didn't understand the the spherical uh, shape of the earth, and they didn't understand uh, these things like, uh, you know, the the, the water cycle and systems like that. But look at these uh, scriptures, I have these up here as well. But again, how did these men know these things uh, back then? Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 1. Notice uh, what Solomon writes. Ecclesiastes verse 1 verse 7. He says, All the rivers flow into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place where the rivers flow, there they flow again. Right? He's talking about the water cycle, right? How the waters flow into the sea, uh, but because of uh, you know the, the waters uh, that are in the sea help control you know the, the rain uh, or you know again I'm not a science teacher so I don't uh, mean to explain this uh, 100% correctly but you know the, the water cycle uh, is constantly in uh, in in existence because of all of that water that is here. Uh, on uh, the earth. Again, I I mentioned that a lot of the poetical language talks about this in the book of Job as well. Uh, Job chapter 28, verse uh, 26. Uh, It's recorded here. uh, It says that when he set a limit for the rain and a course for the thunderbolt. Again, you know, poetical language is being used, but the writer here is telling us, you know, God set a limit to the rain. Right? Everything, the rain is controlled by God. That's the emphasis that he's trying to make. Uh, he also mentions in chapter 36 of the book of Job, in verse 27, it says, For he draws up the drops of water, they distill rain from the mist. Again, here's that water cycle uh, that, you know, that God has put in place. 
that, that we have that keeps the, keeps the earth moving, keeps the earth growing. Again, you know, how did all of these things happen by accident? How did all of these things take millions and millions of years uh, to uh, come into existence? Right? It just does not make sense to us. We understand that there is design in these things, and design demands a designer. Okay, uh, last week I mentioned, uh, we sort of talked about the eyes right, of the human body. You know, one of the most complicated uh, mechanisms in the world. You know, the eyes constantly gathering information, you know, as we're looking. You know, it's gathering information into our brains, processing it on speeds of over uh, 300 miles per hour. And, you know, we've got, over, the scientists say we've got over 600,000 nerves uh, from our eyes to our brains that's sending these uh, these constant images. Uh, we have millions of receptors and cones and rods in our eyes. Uh, the, the eye moves over 100,000 times a day. Think of the self-cleaning mechanism uh, that we have. You know, that our tears flush away dust and other foreign uh, materials. Our eyelids, they act as, you know, windshield wipers for our, our eyes. Uh, our blinking keeps them moist and clean. Again, does that not scream out to you design? Uh, that, again, that this was not something that evolved uh, over millions and millions of years. And so, uh, the, you know, the technology companies who are creating uh, cameras and video uh, cameras and, you know, our iPhones and those types of things, where do they get their design processes? You know, where, where do they go to to try to uh, design the best camera? Uh, they're studying the human eye. You know, our camcorders, our cell phones make the human eye, you know, look like, uh, or excuse me, our, our, the human eye makes our, you know, our camcorders, our cell phones look like child toys, right, compared to the design of our eyes. And I know we can go into much, much more detail on a whole lot of different other aspects uh, of the life. But again, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 4, you know, his fingerprints are everywhere. They're everywhere. Uh, every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. And there's a, a story of uh, Sir Isaac Newton. Uh, Sir Isaac Newton was, of course, a mathematician and a scientist, and he strongly believed in God, as did a lot of scientists in that day. Uh, you know, it's quite the opposite of today. A lot of scientists today don't believe uh, in God, but back then they did. Um, and so Sir Isaac Newton, he had this friend who was an atheist and uh, he wanted to put a pebble in his shoe you know as they say and so he went out and he hired a man a carpenter to uh, basically construct a, a scale model of the universe of you know the planets and the sun and the moons and those types of things and and so he had him carve it out and you know and put some intrinsic detail into it and paint it and then when uh, he brought the the masterpiece home you know, he displayed it on his uh, table in his home. He invited his friend to come over, right? And so when his friend came over, you know, the first thing that caught his eye was this, uh, this wooden uh, masterpiece that this man had just carved out. And his friend asked, you know, can I get a better look at it? And so uh, Sir Isaac Newton said, of course. And so the man, you know, he gets up close to it. He's examining it. He's just awestruck. It's so beautiful, you know, and he wanted to know. Who crafted this piece of art? You know, he probably wanted one uh, for, his, for his own. And Sir Isaac Newton's response was, no one. It just appeared. 
You know, his friend uh, kind of confused. Uh, what are you talking about? And uh, Newton says, no, it just appeared out of thin air. I don't know where it came from. You know, and at this point, his friend's getting upset. He's getting mad. But see, the, the thing is, is that if he could convince his friend that this crude replica, this piece of wood of the solar system had just happened by accident to appear on uh, his, his table, then how can his friend um, get him to believe that the real solar system, with all its complexity, with all its design, could have appeared just by time and chance? Right? And so... Uh, I thought that was a pretty powerful story, a true story of, you know, of an example of, uh, you know, how we can, again, uh, talk to our friends and neighbors about this issue, uh, that the, the world screams design. Uh, there is design in this universe. We see it. Uh, the Bible tells us that it's there. And so, again, you know, there's another, uh, you know, tool we can use to uh, get people to think about the existence of God. Uh, the fourth and final category I want to talk about uh, this this uh, morning, uh, uh, dealing with this topic, is you know what about the existence of evil, pain, and suffering? Okay, so this is uh, this is the the again the skeptic, the atheist's uh, probably go-to question uh, when it comes to the existence of God is well. Evil exists in this world. Pain exists. Suffering exists. So how can there be a God? Right? And we hear stories about this, you know, all the time. About you know, two people are on a on a road. You know, this guy's dating a girl. Uh, the girl is, you know, she's she's a very spiritual girl. She doesn't miss church. She's evangelistic. She's a serving. She's a, serv- a servant. You know, just this great all-American girl, right? And they're driving down the road. And they get into a car wreck. Um, you know, a drunk driver's coming the other way, and he gets into a car wreck with them. And, you know, the drunk driver gets out of the car. He has no scratches on him. He's not hurt whatsoever. But the girlfriend uh, in the other vehicle, you know, passes away. And so we, we hear stories of this all the time. Because that boyfriend is now saying, why, God, why? You know, why didn't you take uh, the man's life who was at fault? And... Uh, you know, again, it gets into this uh, discussion, the, this thought that if God is so loving and kind and powerful, you know, why does he allow the innocent to suffer in this life? Uh, either he wishes uh, to take evil away and he can't, which makes him uh, not powerful, or he can take it away, but he chooses not to, which makes him Unloving, right? And that, that's what they will uh, argue over and over again that either God is not powerful enough or he's not loving enough. And so the, the God of the Bible uh, cannot exist. And again, that's going to be their, their main um, argument dealing with the existence of God. And so, again, in these real life scenarios that we see time and time again, many abandon their belief in God because of these very reasons, right? We lose a loved one. And we want to blame God. Uh, we, we, our prayers are not being answered. And so we want to uh, blame God. There was a, a man in the 1960s. Uh, he grew up just outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee. And uh, he was a shining example uh, to his peers. peers. Again, he, he was just a young man. Uh, he was leading prayer groups in, in church. Uh, he was doing foreign mission work as a young man. Again, a great example but then tragedy struck his life. 
he, he lost his sister to leukemia. His father, uh, a few uh, years later, committed suicide. And the boy's belief in God at that point collapsed. And he became one of America's uh, most unspoken unbelievers and pro-abortion advocates at that time. Uh, That boy's name? Ted Turner. We've heard of Ted Turner, right? He he co-founded things such as CNN and TBS and other well-known enterprises. Uh, Now, if you do some research on this now, it it appears that he's kind of turning back towards God a little bit uh, in his uh, spiritual life. But there was at one point in this life that he was just a fierce advocate of atheism. He he was upset at God. He was mad at God for this evil that had happened uh, into his life. And so, again, we ask this question, why does God allow suffering? You know, if if God is all-powerful... As the Bible says, uh, that he is, he is the Almighty, right? Um, that's where we get the idea of God's greatness, is it not? Uh, we understand through reading the scriptures, we understand that's where we get the idea of, of God's greatness. So, you know, why can't we use the Bible as well when we try to, you know, refute uh, this argument? Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. Uh, notice what Moses records here very last verse of Genesis chapter 1. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Right? God created, after God created everything in those six days, he said that it was very good. And of course, we know what's going to happen in the next few chapters. Right? Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve are going to introduce... Um, sin into the world. They're going to introduce suffering and pain into the world because of that sin uh, that they were tempted to do. And Romans chapter 5, verse 12, we notice Paul here will say, if I can get there, Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Paul writes, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, uh, because all sinned, right? Uh, since Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, uh, since you know, Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, everything God made was very good. It was perfect. It was great. But then sin entered into the world by the choice of man, by Adam and Eve, and sin has now entered into the world, and now we are dealing with the, re- the repercussions of those today, right? We live in a fallen world. Well, here's the main point that I want to get to is that uh, you and I, we have what is known as free will. Right? We, we have free will in this life. God always has given human beings the right uh, to make decisions. You know, again, he did not create us to be robots, and that we should be happy for. Uh, we should be uh, extremely happy that he has not done that. Uh, but he has made us so that we can make our own choices. Um, in Romans chapter 5, if you're still there, in verse 18, it says, So then, as through one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted justification of life to all men. Again, that one act that brought sin into the world, that's not God's fault. God is not to blame. 
although we want to constantly blame God uh, for it. But it was man uh, who chose to do those things. We have a choice uh, to make those decisions. We have free will, and that is a great blessing from God. All of our decisions have consequences. We understand that. Uh, We can't blame these things on Adam and Eve. Uh, If an individual is going to drink alcohol and get drunk and then he ends up in a ditch or ends up, uh, you know, getting into that serious wreck that we talked about, uh, it's his fault. It's not God's fault. If we if we, uh, you know, fudge on our taxes um, and uh, we get caught or even if we don't get caught, you know, ultimately we'll get caught by uh, God on the day of judgment. But again, it's not his fault that we went to prison. Uh, it is our own fault. We have free will to make those choices. And of course, you know, God created this world, uh, a world of natural law. You know, we talked about that a lot last week, but we understand how gravity works, do we not? If we step off of a building uh, every time, the same thing is going to happen. If we step in front of a freight train uh, going 100 miles an hour, we understand what is going to happen. Uh, notice in Luke chapter 13. In Luke chapter 13, verses uh, 2 through, well, let's start at verse, verse 1, 1 through 5. You know, there's always been a time where, you know, people have, you know, believed in, you know, karma or that, you know, the wicked are going to get their way and that sort of thinking. But notice uh, what Jesus teaches his disciples in Luke chapter 13. It says, now on the same occasion, Uh, There were some present who reported to him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. And Jesus said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were greater sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered this fate? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or do you suppose that those 18 on whom the tower uh, in Siloam fell and killed them were worse culprits than all the men who lived in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. See, Jesus is teaching, you know, that this this tower that fell on these people and killed them, it wasn't because they were more wicked people than anyone else. It's, it's just it's the law of, of gravity or the law, the natural laws that God put into place. These things happen in this life. Again, this is a, a fallen world. And I think we're running short on uh, time uh, to finish this lesson, but um, just notice a few things with me, if you will. You know, suffering is sometimes beneficial, right? Uh, Your body alerts you to something if something's too hot, right? If I put my hand on the stove, uh, my body's going to tell me it's too hot. If it didn't tell me it was too hot, you know, I would do some pretty major damage to my hand. You know, sometimes suffering is beneficial to us. When our chest begins to throb, maybe that's the onset of a heart attack. And that's telling me that I need to get to a doctor right away. Or, you know, my side starts to hurt. You know, again, maybe appendicitis is kicking in or something. But pain sends us to the doctor for that preventative care. That's a good thing. Uh, The psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 71, you know, it's good for me that I was afflicted, that I might learn uh, your statutes. You know, pain helps us focus that, uh, you know, that there is a God. You know, evil, pain, and suffering uh, help us focus in this life that there is a God um, and that uh, we, uh, it grounds us, right? Uh, We're going through uh, troubles and times of uh, heartache and that type of thing. Um, 
it, it gets us focused. Uh, it gets us on our knees in prayer, uh, that we go to God uh, again in prayer and focus again on him. Because, you know, not everything is going to, uh, you know, flow as nice as we want. Uh, I know I'm running short on time. I'll just finish up my thoughts with this uh, next week. And then again, we'll move into the inspiration of the scriptures. Uh, but I appreciate your attendance this morning. And Brother Ricky is going to have our closing prayer for us.